We choose to go to the moon because it is there. Well, space is there. And we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail on the greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. All right. Welcome to the new Space Vision Podcast. In this podcast series, we aim to tell the stories behind the emerging new space ecosystem in Germany, Europe and the world. You can find previous and future podcasts on our iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud channels. Simply search for New Space Vision. New exciting interviews, blogs, meetup events, conferences, the newsletter or other projects can be found on our website newspacevision.com so make sure to subscribe welcome to the 14th episode of our new space vision podcast in the past month we got multiple requests from our community about covering other new space markets beside the us and europe and we thought it's a great idea that's why today's guest is andrew jones andrew is a space journalist and correspondent covering china's space program at space news hey andrew first of all How did you become a space expert? An expert? Um, that's that's very kind. Well, that, that's that's a, that's actually a long story. So, um, you want a short version of that, or <laughs> <laughs> let's start with a short version? Yeah. Okay. When I, when I was a kid, um, we're talking like three, four years old. I got really excited about space after seeing like some pictures from I don't know Voyager or some Pioneer satellite images or something like this of the planets. So I became like really obsessed with space. For a young age, but living in Wales, I didn't really have anywhere to go with this. So I kind of just forgot about this kind of interest in space. Anyway, years later, um, I was working as a journalist and I was given some freedom to go and find something to write about, which was interesting to me at the time. Um, and the Rosetta mission was ongoing and I thought, Oh, space. Great. Cool. This is, you know, this is something that's really worth following. And it helped me really get back into, um, this passion I had for space. And then, And following this, there was a request to produce uh, reports about China. And because I'd kind of got this kind of space fever back, I started looking what, looking at what was going on in China. And it turns out there's lots going on, but not so much coverage. I mean, we had um, uh, Rui Barbosa at NASA Spaceflight, who covers all the launches. Uh, Emily Lakdawala was covering the exploration side very well. That was very interesting. And like David Leonard was producing very kind of accessible reports. Um, but there, there wasn't kind of much beyond that and there was more things going on. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll follow this and see what's going on and try to make myself useful. And it turns out there was some kind of demand for more reporting on China space program. So I stuck to it and yeah, a few years later, I'm still here doing this. So yeah, very happy to be doing that. Perfect. So, uh, we can uh, read your articles at uh, space news. Are you also on, on other media? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I work freelance as well, so I write often for space.com, uh, IEEE Spectrum, uh, some exploration-related posts for the Planetary Society, Guy and Telescope, and and a few other, um, some other places now and again. It's it's super exciting, yeah. And uh, it's exclusively about China's space industry, or also or are you also covering um, other um, space nations? Yeah, I do some other coverage as well, and keep my eye on other things which are going on, but. Um, But mostly I report on, on China. It takes a, a lot of bandwidth to try to follow what's going on. So it kind yeah. of makes sense to some degree to kind of make the most of that when possible. Yeah. 
And and I think that's that's a perfect segue because like I think a lot of our listeners don't really have an idea about the Chinese space ecosystem just because this language barrier and maybe also because like a lot of media coverage is currently focused on Europe and for example uh, the US. So maybe can you give us a brief overview about the Chinese space uh, ecosystem and industry? How how is it structured? Who are the main players? Okay, that's a great question. So I would, I would say that China's space industry is really accelerating a lot. So when I started following in 2015, almost everything was under the umbrella of the, the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation or, or CASC. And this is like a giant state owned enterprise, which has a number of institutes and research uh, facilities across the country and they they handle most of like pretty much all of the the civilian and military aspects of china's space program so they produce satellites produce, uh, produce the launches lots of the downstream side of things researching and developing propulsion so pretty much everything and also they have um subsidiaries which are dedicated to selling contracts to to other countries so the china great wall industry corporation so so cask was kind of the um cask kind of runs the, the space program in china however since late 2014 there was a a government decision to open up some portions of the chinese space sector to private capital so since then we've seen kind of a sister giant state-owned enterprise called Kasik. They've started developing their own launch vehicles from their missile technology. So they're developing and launching solid rockets with small satellites on board. They're also developing their own satellite constellations. But also we've had what are nominally private companies emerge specifically in the sectors of the like the launch sector and small satellites. So what we're seeing now over the last two or three years is a real acceleration of the launch rate. Lots of different players uh, becoming involved in the space sector and lots of different constellations in uh, satellite communications, in remote sensing uh, and so on coming online and, and um, being developed. Okay, just to so to just summarize it, there's Cusk, the state-run uh, organization who previously owned the space sector or did everything in the space sector, both for military and civil organizations. And now, since 2014, the market opened up. We see, I think it's called Kozik, right? Like, which are also Kasich, building, yes. yeah, exactly Kozik, which are also building satellites for commercial purposes, and then a lot of new space companies. We're gonna cover them in more detail in a second. Okay, thanks. Okay, and one other player I should should mention would be the China Academy of Sciences, which is kind of like China's national academy. So they have been involved in developing and manufacturing satellites, particularly small satellites. Um, they also have some launch vehicle technology. They they haven't. They've been mostly, well, I think exclusively it's been suborbital, but they have some expertise. So uh, this CAS, this Chinese Academy of Sciences, they they have 
Well, not just, but in the last year or two, they established uh, a spin-off, which is called Cast Space or John Kerr Aerospace, two names. And so they're, they're looking to develop reusable liquid launch vehicles. Uh, I think they're going to first launch a solid launcher. But, um, but yeah, CAS is a, or the Chinese Academy of Scientists. That's a, another major player we don't hear about so much, but they, they have, they have lots of talent and lots of, um, lots of technological capabilities. So they're, they're another player in, in the space, in Chinese space sector. It's super interesting. And we're also going to go deeper into the private ecosystem, um, uh, soon. But what we are also always uh, wondering is actually like we're comp comparing uh, Europe uh, with the US, like the new space ecosystem. And I mean, uh, you said in the in your intro that you're also covering other other countries, of course. Um, so maybe can you tell us a bit what you think are the key differentiators um, between the Chinese space ecosystem compared, you now first to Europe and the US? Okay, that's a that's a tough question because I don't really, as I said, I kind of came to this a bit late. So space wasn't something which I kind of grew up with, you know, living in America and being like a state over from a launch site and being lots of TV coverage and so on. So honestly, when I started trying to cover space, I'm looking at a rocket and thinking, okay, why is this one two stages and this one's three stages? And what are these different orbits and whatever? So I mean, really starting from the, you know, the very bottom, trying to work out what's going on. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a bit hard sometimes to, to make, to make a, a comparison. I would say that there are quite a few differences. If we look at the, the, if we look at the, the US, It's clear that China is tr kind of taking some lessons from what it sees going on in the United States. And they realize that having this um, purely state-owned space sector isn't the way to go in a number of ways in terms of innovation and being more nimble. Also, I would say that because it's starting so late, so this only started in late 2014, the The investment environment is is very it's uh, much different to to the U.S. and also the kind of downstream application side that there's a lot of catching up and lots of development needed in in that sphere. So it's a very kind of nascent, very very young, very active, but very 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 young. And also in terms of say business plans as well. And you have lots of companies in the launch sector and small satellites and planning constellations. But what their actual business plan is, isn't really so concrete or so, so clear. So it's China's trying to learn lessons from what they've seen happening elsewhere, but naturally they're quite a few years behind. But it's interesting that you already say that uh, they recognize that purely state-owned sector is not the way to go and that you, that you need this private sector, which is great because we're going to cover the, the new space industry later. Uh, one thing I also want to understand, um, well, maybe you can give us a statement about uh, the collaboration actually with other nations, uh, if we uh, don't limit it to um, the government or the private industry, because um, we've seen um, a lot of collaborations in the space industry over the past decades between uh, Europe, US, Russia, Japan. How is the mentality regarding collaborations in, in China? Yeah, it's a good question. So, so it, we'd have to go kind of really... There's been different phases, I would say. Um, so historically, going back to the 1950s, China started out by cooperating with the Soviet Union, uh, receiving lots of technological support, um, copies of the, I think, the R5 rocket, and 
engineering skills and and, and so on um, to try to help China develop its own its own missiles and by extension launches. Um, but that that came to quite an abrupt end when there was a falling out between the People's Republic of China and the Soviet Union. Uh, so China's been forced to kind of go it alone, especially during the Cold War, where it was neither uh, there was tensions with both the Soviet Union and, of course, having no relations with the United States. So China was really forced to develop um, develop things by itself. In the 80s and early 90s, there was some cooperation or at least links between the United States and China in in launch services. But I would say after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was there were periods where I think this is mostly unofficial, but there was some technology transfer from the from the former Soviet Union to China in terms of launch vehicle technology and maybe some something related to the human spaceflight program, the Shenzhou. But also there has been lots of kind of in the sphere of Space science, particularly the European Space Agency and China have been working together on a number of projects. So China has benefited from working on space science projects like the Double Star project, which, which I think that was in the early 2000s. Um, they've done, I think they're planning a, um, a solar observation and um, Earth atmosphere mission called SMILE. And this, this is kind of given China uh, the possibility to kind of develop its own expertise in terms of management, in terms of running these kinds of projects, and also in lunar exploration where they've been able to learn lessons for TT and C and different different aspects of the space program, which might not be so obvious, but obviously a big part of what goes on. Sorry, that was was kind of... um, me talking a lot about the past. Um, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the moment, um, China is is trying to court different countries, particularly through the Belt and Road Initiative, and also through the Chinese Space Station, where notably it's it signed um, a deal through the United Nations Office of Outer Space for sending, I think it was like 17 payloads or payloads from 17 countries and organizations to the uh, to the Chinese space station. So China's trying to show, look, this is, um, you know, this is us cooperating with the, you know, the rest of the world and showing that they're open. But at the same time, China controls all aspects of that space station. So it's not like the International Space Station where you have different countries providing different modules and being responsible for, say, refueling and cargo missions and sending astronauts all that. So it's China has, you know, complete control over what it does and rule the launch, everything like that. So it's 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 very it's very different. So China is looking to cooperate in terms of what would be good in terms of pro, pro, uh, programmatics and and maybe technology, but then also in terms of international prestige and diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a lot of things uh, which which are happening in China or, or from China, or a lot of initiatives which are taken from China, really show this vertically integrated approach. Really, um, and and like a a strategy which goes full circle. Really, like providing 
states with with, with the funds and um, also support to um, develop their own space programs and then obviously also the chance to launching them i mean it's incredible uh like that a lot of like we read so much about um obviously spacex and also i think you really talk a lot of uh, a lot of members of the general public which are maybe not maybe not that involved in space exploration and space research they have already heard about spacex but really like china is launching um yeah i think uh like cask uh, launching more than 40 satellites they are planning to launching to launch more than 40 satellites this year and most people haven't heard about this but now let's talk about new space because i think there are a lot of interesting things also about like international collaboration between europe and china which which a lot of people don't know about for example that i think ohb uh also already launched payloads on top of one of the uh, chinese moon orbiters but maybe let's touch about uh, on, on this topic a little bit later because as you already mentioned in 2014 15 really the, the Chinese space ecosystem opened up for for public activities and especially also private investment, and and also if you now visit, for example, or maybe before Corona, visited one of the big aerospace conferences such as Eli here in Berlin or Space Tech Expo, there were these booths of these companies. Which previously, for example, I've never heard of Land Space, huge booth, huge rockets. Uh, we're standing there and also online more and more articles popped up about the Chinese new space companies. So, um, maybe, um, before really going into the full picture, there are a lot, it seems like there are a lot, a lot of private space companies in China, which focus on launching or building a, a, a rocket, building a launch vehicle, such as iSpace, Link Space, Land Space, One Space. Maybe can you tell us why are there so many launch companies in China? Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling how many how many actors there are trying to get in on a market which isn't really you know defined or anything like that. So it's it's a really exciting time. Um, so so we talked about um, Cask and Kasich and the Chinese Academy of Sciences earlier. So when there was this opening of the space sector, um, a a lot of people who were working for these traditional um, space players, they were thinking, okay, what can we, you know, we could possibly, you know, make our own company here and develop our own launches and start, you know, launching our own constellations or launching for others and, and so on. So why there are quite so many, it's, 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 it's hard to say. There's no definitive answer. However, looking at what's going on, um, you can see that the, each of these companies has its own kind of approach and maybe has something differentiating them, such as the, the fuel, the propellant, which they're using, or the, the size of the launcher, or then, or then, um, there might be a company which is looking to develop just the engines rather than the launchers. So I think I've got a list somewhere of the companies which I've actually um, come across and found them to have actually some kind of solid plans uh, or, you know, at least well laid out plans. And I think I've got about 20, a list of about 25 different companies. So I think right at the top of those would be the four that you just, you mentioned, which would be land space, link space, one space and I space. So three of those have started out with small solid launches. Since 2014, you've had 
lots of expertise and lots of people who have been working for traditional space actors like Kask and Kasich and maybe the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And they've been looking at developing their own launches. Now, they have each developed or come up with an idea which which is somehow differentiated from the other. So if we look at land space, they started with a solid launcher that failed, and they seem to have left that behind them. They aren't going to be launching the uh, Jutua 1 again, and they are developing what is kind of a medium-lift liquid methane and liquid oxygen launch vehicle. And that's, I think... They're looking at launching at the middle of next year. So at the moment, it's looking like the middle of 2021. iSpace has taken a similar path. They had a Hyperbola 1, which launched successfully first time in July 2019. But they are, they're moving on to also a liquid methane launcher, which will be not quite as capable in terms of payload capacity as land spaces due to Air 2, but certainly in the same kind of ballpark. And they're also, I think they're going to have a second launch of this smaller solid rocket in January. So that's another thing to look out for. Link Space is interesting. They were, I think, possibly one of the first companies to, to emerge. And they've gone straight for the route of developing a vertical takeoff, vertical landing launch vehicle. But they had, they had a hop test, I think, a few hundred to a few hundred meters in august last year and they were planning to do launches to around 100 kilometers in like the six in the six months or so after that but we haven't heard anything from them so the the idea is that they they're having funding trouble one space has been focusing on solid rockets so small solid rockets and building up into larger launch vehicles and at the same time, which is rather interesting, so you have these kind of nominally private companies which are doing their thing. At the same time, you have these traditional actors, so Kask and Kasich, are starting their own, they've started their own spin-off commercial companies, which have been launching solid launch, ve- solid launch vehicles. So Kasich has been launching Kwaijo rockets. Um, I think the, the Kwaijo 1A has been launching something like a capacity of around 200 kilos. To, to Leo, and then they tried to launch a larger one, which is about a metric ton to Leo, called the Kwaijo 11, but that failed earlier this year. So what we have is lots of commercial companies, both private and spin-offs from these state-owned companies, and they're all competing for commercial launch contracts. So looking from the outside, you're wondering, okay, why are there all these companies, particularly if you're trying to nurture a, a private sector, why are the why are these state-owned enterprises also competing? So it's very interesting. Um, alongside there, there's also co- very interesting companies like Galactic Energy. Um, so they're taking a similar kind of route where they're, they're going to launch a, a small solid rocket. And that launch actually could be the first week of November. So that's something to really look out for coming up. But they will also then be switching to liquid launches and that will those will be larger ones and the idea would be like with land space and with ice space these would be reusable while ice space and land space they're doing liquid methane galactic um sorry yeah galactic energy they will be using kerosene so more like the, the falcon 9 the idea the idea that you can take from this is that these traditional space actors in china they have certain technologies for for launch so through this 
this um, national strategy called the military civil fusion. It's it seems that these companies, if able to apply to use this te- these technologies to develop launch vehicles, so it seems like that China's clearly had some capabilities with liquid methane rocket engines. So that technology is being transferred to these companies, and the same with the kerosene engines, which China's developed with the the new long launch five, six, and seven rockets. So that technology is maybe something which Galactic Energy has been able to get some kind of assistance with and so on so there's all yeah yeah so there's other companies deep blue aerospace is very interesting one i think that's Carolox. so something similar to galactic energy jojo yunjian they're developing liquid methane engines and i think that they had a deal with link space so they would be providing the engines to link space for their rockets if we get to see them launch again on space transportation are developing some kind of reusable rockets and they are kind of like space planes for the second stage. What else? There was this cast space or Jonker aerospace, which I mentioned earlier. So then again, they're developing their own sets of yeah. solid and liquid launches. Yeah. And there's others on this, on this list. So what I believe is like what definitely came 100% through was like there are a lot of companies with a lot of slightly different like, um, developing and then also deploying such a solution is much more difficult but like if we look at the european market there are obviously um, maybe a handful of of companies which you could really consider to be on the way of building a launch vehicle if you look at the us maybe they are a little bit more but really how are these companies funded in china how are they supported because it just it, it needs money to build any kind of rocket test stand it needs a lot of money to build any kind of prototype and even needs a lot of money to build at least a sounding rocket, which at least looks at, uh, looks at it would be the predecessor to a orbital launch vehicle. So we, how is the funding uh, in the space sector and how are, for example, really the front runners such as land space and, and, and link space, ice space, how are they funded? Maybe not each company, but more in general. Yeah, that's that's a very that's a very good question, and it's a it's one which uh, a lot of people immediately start asking when you know they see all these launch vehicles. When I've spoken to a few of these, they will say that they don't get major amounts of money or any money even from the central government. They may have some kind of assistance, financial assistance from this group called Sastind, which is in the government setup and that oversees the the space sector. Um, I'm not sure about that, but then there's often news about funding rounds for these companies. And you can, when you, when you look into who is, who is funding these, sometimes it will be, um, private investment firms, uh, providing money, but often you will see, you'll see funding coming from holding companies, which are linked to, to maybe Cask or to Kasich in for the, in the example of XSpace, which is like a commercial spin-off from Kasich, it's clear that Kasich is investing money in XSpace and and um, and related companies. And the same for the Chinese Academy of Sciences. So with launch vehicle company Caspace, and then with another company um, which develops small satellite platforms called. Uh, space T, you can see that there's kind of investment funds 
linked to the Chinese Academy of Sciences putting money into these. So it's kind of a, a mix, and sometimes you can even see kind of a, a mixed ownership kind of model in there. So also another thing which uh, I wrote about in Space News recently was that there is sometimes assistance or um, agreements with provincial or municipal governments for the development of facilities in particular areas. So um, the two examples I wrote about were this um, Caspace or Jonker Aerospace. Um, so they're setting up something in in Guangzhou, which is part of a, a larger kind of um, science city, which has been developed in cooperation with that province and the Chinese Academy of Sciences. Um, in southwest China, in Chengdu, uh, one district will be um, hosting uh, the facilities for galactic energy. And there are also deals with, I think Shandong is now, there's a city, a coastal city in Shandong, which is hosting the development of a huge complex, which will be for long march solid rockets to be launched from a sea platform, but also then this China rocket, which is like a commercial spin-off from Cask. So there's there's lots of things going on. It's very hard to kind of track where all the money is coming from and just who how much is coming from, say, a provincial government, how much is coming from the company, and who's investing in that company. Yeah, one thing is actually the investments, right? But I'm also interested in the commercial demand for all those launches. So do they look for customers abroad, uh, which is typical, of course, for um, Russian, uh, European and US launches? Or is there enough demand from the Chinese government and the private uh, industry from, from China? It's hard to say because... There's lots of plans for constellations, but they're still a long way off from launching any serious numbers of satellites. So, so as I was saying earlier, the quite how all the business plans come together is, is going to be something to watch. A lot of these companies will tell you that they are, of course, open to working with actors from other countries. However, it seems that if you look at how much money is in new space sectors, um, across the world. So you'd have the US as a major leader, and then China with the size of its aerospace um, sector and and the investment kind of environment that they have there, that China's going to be the main one to watch after that. So I imagine that while they're open to, to, um, to foreign contracts, it's mostly going to be looking at what, uh, what's developing in China. That's interesting. And is there already um, like a, a Chinese Capella space or ISI or even um, like a Planet Labs uh, or now called Planet uh, in China? So is there already such a, a company who's uh, doing Earth observation services? For Earth observation, there is something called Changguang Satellite Technology, and they are based up in the northeast of China, upwards, very, very cold often. That is. That's a spin-off from um, an institute owned by the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And I think it's something like the Changchun Institute of Optical and Mechanical something or other. So <laughs> forget the name. But basically, they, they have their own um, satellite production facilities, and they've been using the technology that they have for, um, for, for optical remote sensing. And they've been deploying... Um, quite a number of satellites now. I can't remember the number, but it's certainly over 10, maybe 20 satellites that they have on orbit already. Um, one For one of their launches, I think it could have even been the first Long March 11C launch. Oh, actually, there was one where they they managed to video 
they used one of their remote sensing satellites to actually take a video of the launch of one of their next satellites, which is which was quite amazing. So, watching a launch from orbit is quite something. Um, so that yeah, so so that that's they're they're the leader in remote sensing, but they're very much you know very much linked to the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and therefore you know that that money and, and technology is coming from the states. Space T, which is again. This is not not quite so closely tied to the Chinese Academy of Sciences, but the the people who went and set this company up were originally working for the Chinese Academy of Sciences. So Space T develops satellite platforms, but now I think they're also developing their own synthetic aperture radar satellites. So it's something which will be somewhere comparable to an ISI satellite. So so yeah, it's generally. If you look at what's going on in in the new space, you know, in, in new space across the world, there's going to be a company in China which is trying to do that thing. So it's like they're trying all kinds of different ideas. So one one thing you may not have heard of is Origin Space, and they are China's kind of version of Planet Planet Resources. So they're basically looking to get into asteroid mining, and I think they have a launch coming up in November. Of some kind of technology demonstration thing, so they're they're another company to watch. The problem with asteroid mining is it's so long term that getting investment and so on is is very very challenging. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, there were also um, Chinese investors investing in uh, Moon Express and planetary resources. So maybe uh, before we go to the next topic, I, I, I have an, I have another question regarding this. Like Chinese investors seem to to invest, uh, they're interested in new space. And do not hesitate to go beyond their own borders. So, so Chinese investors are investing a lot in, in, in the U.S. and other countries. Do you also see it the other way around? That, for example, U.S. investors are investing in China. Um, not so much, but there was one of the there was an investment round. I think it was either land space or ice space. I can't quite remember which, um, but that was in the last couple of months. And one of the leading investors of that round was. Kind of the Chinese arm of a U.S. investment firm, if I get that right. So there, there is some kind of interest, but obviously, given the geopolitical context, uh, the investment environment is uh, not not great, I would say. So, but that that's that's not something that I've actually looked at in depth. It's something that I kind of come across in bits and pieces when I get the chance to color, cover like a funding round or something like that. So the, these news stories always lead to more questions than you can possibly answer. So it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting, but it's also mind blowing and, and very, very challenging to kind of, you know. Would you say it's possible like for us, like because it's really for us obviously difficult from a language barrier, but that's a barrier definitely which can be taken because Daniel and I, are next to being the host of the New Space Vision podcast are the founders of an Earth observation company called LIFEO. And do you think we would be able to procure satellite imagery from Space uh, YT, I think it's called, and the other company you've mentioned? If I understand, there is a company called Space Will, and they they sell, they, they're the company which is kind of, um, I think that they're somehow linked to cask they're like maybe a commercial spin-off or somehow somehow they have a relationship and they are the company which is kind of tasked with selling 
Chinese Earth observation data abroad. Now, I don't know how that works in practice, or and I certainly it's not something that I can actually you know advise on or say that you, you should do this because you know I'm a journalist and you know I really can't can't go say yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. yeah. So uh, my understanding is that yeah there 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 are, there are ways of Chinese companies selling their Earth observation data, whether that's just from the state or if it's from commercial constellations. I guess it is also from commercial constellations. So it's it's possible, but the actual, you know, whether this is wise or whatever, that's that's completely another question. And there's also the the head uh, aerospace, um, uh, so it's called head aerospace company, uh, founded already in 2007, which I'm right now in contact uh, to. And they also they they opened up uh, offices in Europe and so on. And and I think it was like the first time they contacted me this year. Um, uh, like they have access to more than 40 uh, satellite uh, based earth observation um, uh, with more than 40 sources of um, 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 satellites and um, i think it's it's opening up but um, yeah maybe more details uh, in in another podcast <laughs> yeah yeah head aerospace is a, is a very interesting company so they yeah i think they have a, an office which is right outside estec in the netherlands um, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah so Yeah, it would be very interesting to do some deeper research into their relationships and who they work with and so on. Um, it's certainly a very interesting case. So yeah. they're international, but also very closely tied to CASC, if I understand correctly. Yeah. And they also have big ambitious plans, like more than 20 uh, launches scheduled by 2022, so that they have access to more than 80 Earth observation satellites. Uh, so it's also interesting to, to see this. Um, yeah. Um, Hmm? Sorry, do you know the name of the um, the satellite constellation which they're planning? The Skywalker constellation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting name. Yeah. <laughs> We can see um, just in, in general that there's a lot of going on. I was wondering, you already mentioned like there's funding coming from the local government versus the state government. Um, how is the support? Is there, is there an overarching trend? in the way like new space is encouraged by the local governments and how is there, is there some kind of maybe competition between the local governments and the central government supporting these efforts? Um, because um, right here in Europe, we are, and also in the US, like state support also of, 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 of private companies is, is a major thing. And we also see it in Europe, right? I'm, The Scottish government supporting the Scottish launch site. Then uh, the, the Swedish government is putting 60 million, million kroners into the into the Kiruna uh, launch site and so on. Is there is there also competition between the different uh, provinces in China? I would imagine so. So uh, the typical idea that we have is that you know China is very much controlled top down. However, the provinces have a lot of autonomy and like to exercise that when they can. And it's likely that they would be interested in looking to something which is seen as um, a new driver for economic growth. So there, there were, I can imagine there being competition to, you know, attract certain companies into, into different new areas for uh, economic growth in, inside these provinces. Um, quite how that plays out, I don't know. I've actually been... Planning to speak to the, I have someone in mind I've been meaning to speak to, um, to kind of help me get my head around how that would all work and, you know, the relationships and so on. So that's, that's something that I'm looking into, especially now as we're seeing, you know, these kind of deals 
as we mentioned with Galactic Energy and um, Jonker Aerospace. Um, so yeah, that that's something that I, I need to follow up on. Um, yeah, the 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 one, the one thing is that there is at the moment whenever we have a news story like this, then there's assumption that China is you know subsidizing, you know heavily subsidizing, or then um, you know trying to undercut different players on the international launch market and you know trying to cheat. So it's the kind of news environment and uh, the understanding that we have with China means that we, we see things in, in certain ways. So it, it's going to be, it's, it'd be valuable to get an idea of exactly how that works and try to make it clear. And we can see kind of, you know, what kind of, how, how this relates to, to what goes on in, in Europe and in the US, as you say. Maybe as a follow-up to that question. So um, obviously um, you just mentioned that some of these Chinese companies and also maybe Cask uh, are trying to undercut the, Euro, the, the global market with very low prices. What kind of uh, of uh, yeah companies or what what maybe have you seen as like as a lot of the the clients of launch capabilities on the on the uh, Chinese Chinese Long March rockets, for example, are these mostly Uh, domestic companies, domestic satellites, obviously from maybe the Liberation Army, or do you see, are there also a lot of customers from outside of China launching on rockets in China? It's it's very difficult to, to launch on a Chinese rocket if you're outside of China because of the US ITAR restrictions, so the International Traffic in Arms Regulations, they restrict what technologies can be you know sent to China, basically. So It could be something as simple as a radiation-hardened microchip. Well, which might not be so simple, but um, if you if you want to build a satellite, you have to and then launch it on a Chinese rocket. You have to make sure that there's no U.S. technology in your satellite, which would then go on to onto a Chinese rocket, because then you'll fall foul of these regulations, and that will not be a very good very good time for you. So, the U.S. in response to um, allegations of China stealing technology in the 1990s. Um, this goes back to a case with Hughes Aerospace launching on Chinese rockets. And there was a failure and how, um, Hughes Aerospace helped them was, you know, a big scandal. Um, so these regulations reporting and basically took China out of the international launch market. So yeah, it's, it's very, it's very difficult. However, in response to that, there's been the development of um, sorry, the trend of developing what would be dis, uh, described as ITAR-free technology, which would mean you could build a satellite which would not have any protected U.S. technology, and therefore you could launch on China. So Satellogic, which is based in Argentina, they will be launching. Um, they'll have the first dedicated launch of their of their small remote sensing satellites on a Long March 6 from the Taiyuan launch site in North China. That, I think that's early November. So that's an, you know, an example of, you know, a company coming and buy, you know, buying a rocket. They've, they've launched rocket, um, launched their satellites on Chinese rockets before, but uh, as a, as a ride share. Um, the one, one thing I think we touched on earlier is that Cask offers kind of turnkey solutions. So they, Cask officials will often go on an official delegation to another country and they will, you know, attempt to sell a satellite to say Bolivia or Venezuela or Algeria and so on or Laos in, in Asia. Uh, and they've managed to do this. And what they sell is basically, um, the satellites, the ground station support, the training, the launch, everything. So 
there's no ITAR problems because the chi China's providing everything and they're providing, you know, a loan or um, different preferential uh, things. So th this is kind of one way China's got around um, those restrictions placed on it. We've seen since 2014 more activities in the private industry in China based on, on changes in the space industry. Coming now to the end of the podcast, we want to have a look into the future. Where do you see the Chinese space industry, both public and commercial, in 2030? <laughs> wow, that's quite the question. Um, well, it's going to be interesting to see how many of the, the commercial launch service providers that we've talked about will actually be around. So maybe there would be room for something in the light lift launch market and then maybe one or two of the other companies would be successful with developing a reliable and cheap um, liquid reusable launcher that would that would be a possibility so i think that given that there's central government support for things like satellite internet and 5g connectivity from orbit and so on uh, we may well see a lot of a lot of activity in that sector. We'll see competition between both the traditional state actors or like the, the so-called national team in China, so CASC, and then also CASIC, and also these companies like Comsat and Galaxy Space and Head Aerospace and so on. So there'll, there'll be lots of competition in low Earth orbit, um, satellite communications, in remote sensing and so on. It's it's really interesting to think what it might look like, but there's it's if you look at the launch rates in China over the last few years, it seems that everything is increasing quite quickly. So it's going to be very chaotic. It's going to be very very interesting to watch, but how it's going to turn out, I don't know. In terms of the on the on the civilian and and kind of traditional space actor side, interestingly now we're just coming to the end of the. 13th five-year plan. So China's formulating a 14th five-year plan, which is this kind of national set of targets and programs and goals which they set out across all areas of the, the economy and the, the nation. So we will see new missions for exploration. We'll see new launches being approved. We'll see new space science missions and so on. We'll see maybe new projects for satellite communications. So lots of these will be drawn up. And so we'll get clues as to what's coming in, I think, March of 2021. So in a few months at the kind of so-called um, China's parliament in March, there'll be a two to three week session and we'll get lots of space news then. And at the end of 2021, we'll, there'll be a, a space white paper in which They will talk about what they've achieved in the last five years, but for the next five years, what the priorities are and and so on. So we'll, we'll see, I think, some new space missions, um, sorry, like exploration missions, um, some new projects and so on. Um, maybe we'll see some reform of the sector and maybe a national space law, which would help guide companies into and show what they can and can't do and who and who can't be involved in various sectors of the Chinese space activities. So that's not a very kind of illuminating answer, but just kind of, you know, just try to give a sense of what could happen and what, what kind of the kind of path that's path, path that's being followed at the moment. Okay, great. 
Uh, I think that's that's the perfect perfect endpoint for for our podcast. Um, I I I think it's it's really 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 interesting what's currently going on in the second biggest economical power in in the world, uh, soon first or maybe already first. Uh, so it's so really interesting what's going on there. I think Daniel and I we we check uh, space news quite regularly. I, 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 and I think we, if you out there, the listeners of the new Space Vision podcast want to learn more, please check out, um, the work, the articles of Andrew Jones. Thank you, Andrew, for taking the time this evening. Thanks, Nina, for organizing this podcast. Thanks, Jiva, for cutting it. Thanks, everyone out there, for listening to the 14th episode of the new Space Vision podcast. Watch out for the next one. Thank you very much. So that's it. This was another episode of the new Space Vision podcast, and it won't be the last. We have already lined up a few new, interesting, inspiring guests. Stay tuned and track our activity on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, on our website, newspacevision.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you support us by forwarding this podcast to one other person in your network that might enjoy it as well or by sharing or retweeting the podcast post on your social media profile. If you have any feedback or ideas who we should talk to in one of our upcoming episodes, feel free to message us on our social media outlets or email our podcast organizer nina at newspace.vision. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. <laughs>